Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. It's the fight in. It's the fight in. Clock. It's the fight in. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of The Extra Inch. My name is Windy, and I'm joined by my psychic and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy, Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. Hello. How you doing, boys? Not bad, not bad. Yeah, not too bad, Windy. Good. It's been a while, so we thought we'd get together and we'd talk about the three matches that have happened um, since we last spoke. So, the Newcastle game, the Leicester game, and the Dortmund game. And I think we're going to really start with Dortmund, because that's... So the freshest in our memory, and then we'll 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 drop in uh, comments about the other two matches from there. Um, this was a really really impressive Spurs performance, particularly the second half where we basically untouchable. Um, Bardi, you were at the game. Mm-hmm. How, how how was it to watch? What, what did you make of Dortmund? Firstly, well, the, the first thing that that was um, quite nice was Wembley this year has been very quiet and very kind of stale, but um, there was actually a good atmosphere there. Um, the Dortmund, the way the Dortmund um, watched the football helped as well. But um, it was a game where everyone was a little bit nervous going in because we'd been scraping results and we hadn't looked that convincing in our previous league game that there was a bit of anxiety. But after about 15, 20 minutes, you could kind of see that Dortmund were a little bit more scared of us and confidence built. And then, of course, getting into the second half and grabbing the early goal really, really helped us. Nathan, how did you feel when you saw the team sheet for this one? There were there were some unusual selections, so we say we had uh, Vertonghen playing the left wing back. What were your initial thoughts? Uh, I I now I sort of get a bit of a confidence boost when I see an odd lineup because I in these bigger games because it it means that Pochettino has an idea, has a plan. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to come off, but it means that he you know he's thought up something specific for this game and he's prepared to tweak his lineup to face it. And that made me think, okay, well, you know, obviously he always does his homework, but but to see it um, evidence before the match even starts makes me feel a little bit more positive. And we previously against Leicester, we played a back four. We went back to back three against Dortmund. Is that simply, in your opinion, just a case of having more defenders on the pitch because Dortmund are a better team than Leicester? Uh, I it could just be that, but I I feel that it was it was more specific. Um, 
to Dortmund and the the shapes they take up in position. So so um, over sort of the history, and it's less the case now because we've sort of evolved around it. But we used to really struggle in our first two three seasons against teams who play a back five. We still kind of do occasionally now in the our. Um, model of possession is about uh, occupying five vertical columns of the pitch based on the idea that you're going to be playing against a back four right so that you create a a numerical advantage in attack and if the opposition switch to five players across that back line well then you don't have that advantage anymore and they're matched and they can mark you man for man or or thereabouts so because um a father plays sort of a, a, a not dissimilar thing. I think that's possibly in the, in the, in the plan. Interesting, and that's so true. What you say about us struggling previously against back fives. I, I remember us having problems in Pochettino's first couple of seasons against um, Watford and West Ham, who were playing back threes. Um, so yeah, really, I really agree with that point. And um, but Bardi, we had Son and Lucas up front. So Llorente, who played most of the previous games, was on the bench. Was that for a particular reason? Do you think? Um, I just don't think Lorenzo was that convincing against Leicester. Um, Lucas, for for his faults, he's pretty good at pressing. We know Dortmund like to work the ball from the back. And Lorenzo physically just can't move around the pitch. Even though he's he's only 33, I was surprised by that. I thought he was older. But even though, um, yeah, Lucas is not... Doesn't offer much of a goal for it, but he presses better. He moves around better. He can kind of drop into midfield, and it kind of helped us shut them down a little bit as well. We got to half time, and all the talk in the the, uh, the studio in BT Sport was about Jaden Sancho and how impressive he he'd been. And we kind of, in a sense, we'd seen glimpses of Sancho, but he hadn't really done much. There was no kind of end product. He'd had some nice touches. He'd committed players. And then it kind of turned to, turned to nothing. Um, and the other thing was Spurs were a little, let's say, sloppy defensively. So Juan Foyth took a couple of chances trying to bring the ball out from the back. Aurier's touch was lacking in the first half. And we didn't quite look like we had it all together. That changed drastically in the second half and Spurs really took an early foothold in the game. Nathan, was there anything in particular that you noticed that we did differently in that second half? So, so my uh, view of things is that we we changed from um, a two man midfield of, of Winks and Sissoko to bringing Eriksson deeper. He was a, a ten in the first half, although he kept dropping deep to come and receive the ball. It wasn't uh, properly a change in shape, and we did make that change. Um, I thought uh, at half time to to move to a three man midfield. So Winks sat in the middle. Um, uh, and and then we had a three across, and that meant I think that we were we felt more comfortable pushing the wing backs higher because simply there's an extra man behind the ball, at least centrally, and that can sort of allow the the wide centre back to cover out behind the wing back. And I think that uh, Vertonghen and, and Anori are quickly closing down um, the Dortmund wingers, you know not letting them turn or not even letting them receive the pass in the first place because, you know, once Sancho and once Pulisic is on the ball, <laughs> that's where the problems start. So I think that, yeah, we we, we put an extra man in midfield and, and got really aggressive with the wing backs. And I think you instantly saw that for the first goal is that there was a turnover in a wide area and quickly the ball goes to Vertonghen, who's, you know, high up in Dortmund's half. And then there's the cross. Yeah, I, I think um, I completely agree with Nathan's point there. I think in the first half, we were quite concerned about how Dortmund were playing. So Ericsson was pushing up 
Kind of like what um, Delhi was doing to Jorginho when we played Chelsea. He was up against Witzel or trying to um, stop Dahoud, I think that's how you pronounce it, on the ball when they got it deep. But as the game went on and they offered less of an attacking threat, Ericsson decided, well, Pochettino probably decided that Ericsson was more influential on the ball than he was stopping the ball, if you, if you get what I mean. But um, I'd also like to... Uh, Sancho was Sancho was good. Um, at the at the match itself, I don't know. He, I wasn't blown away. Maybe I couldn't see the, the tricks he was doing. He looked okay. Um, Pulisic looked terrible. And, you know, I was kind of a little bit jealous when Chelsea signed him. But I didn't see much in him to make me think that he's a adequate replacement for Hazard, if that is what he turns out to be. I mean, he's tw- he's twenty, so so I guess the idea is that he'll grow into that role. But yeah, I I totally agree that there's a lot of develop a lot of room for development for P- Pulisic. I, I don't think he's anything like the finished article yet. No. Whereas San- Sancho looks a lot more polished to me, um, mm-hmm. a much more complete player at the moment. And despite being two years younger, um, let's talk a little bit about Vertonghen because it, so Vertonghen played uh, left back against Newcastle and I thought he played really well in that role um in in that match Trippier played in the right but for me where Trippier was turning back and quite negative Batonga was taking forward steps his first touch was always to get it out of his feet and he was looking to make lots of those uh, well-shaped crosses that he likes to play and that was a pleasant surprise that he still had that in his locker despite being a little older now than when he used to regularly play left back for us but this was something completely next level this was I mean there's a difference firstly between playing left back and left wing back playing left back is much I mean that's much more familiar to Jan because when he takes the ball from the goalkeeper playing in a back three he's often essentially taking up some of the left back positions anyway left wing back he's so high up the pitch constantly he's expected to be aggressive He's playing a lot in the final third. And I honestly didn't think he had the athleticism um, to, to do that in the way that he did. He was absolutely sensational. It's one of the best Vertonghen performances I can remember for Spurs. Um, not just in terms of his crossing, which is brilliant. His decision-making, his poise on the ball, his ability to, to aggressively take his man on and put them on the back foot constantly. Nathan, is that one of the best Jan performances you've seen? Uh, I I kind of don't want to say it is simply because I want to respect him as a centre back and right. Um, but it it was it was brilliant. It was a brilliant performance. Um, yeah, he sort of ends up playing left back or left wing back sort of a couple of times a season, and the gap between them you sort of forget how good he is, and you see his name on the team sheet, and you go, oh, I don't know about that. But then yeah, he puts out performances like that. Okay, this is obviously his best one. It trumps the others, but he has been good when he's played there before. And you just think, yeah, like you mentioned, the the athletic requirements of the role. You don't think that you know he's he's pushing towards thirty now, and he's a big he's lad. 31. He's thirty one. Wow. Well, there you go. Um, so it, yeah, it's surprising. He he was um, he commented. It was either in this week, just gone or the week before, that he feels in great shape and feels like he can play on for a long time. And I think you know, I, I may have doubted that without this, without having seen this performance. But for me, that. This kind of clarified, yeah, he is, you know, he's got the athleticism of a much younger man and he clearly looks after himself. And I was very, very impressed with Vertonghen. Um, Barney, I'm interested to get your thoughts on Aurier because you thought he had a good game. Um, let's, yeah. let's talk about that. Yeah, I, I, mean, I just want to say on Vertonghen, I was, Sorry, yeah. I, was, I was totally with you that I thought he was... Um, 
past it. It was a couple, not past it as a footballer, but I thought physically he might have declined a little bit because I think there's a few games where he's looked like he's been running in cement, but he was brilliant on, on, on Wednesday. And I thought him and Alderweire down that left-hand side formed such a beautiful partnership and it was great. But Aurier, I know he received a fair bit of criticism. But I just, I just think he's better. Well, he is, he is better than Trippier. He does have his issues, but I think he's, he's a closer match to a Pochettino fullback than Trippier ever will be. And he had a shaky, he had a shaky opening, which is kind of expected for a player who hasn't played that much football this year. But I thought he combined nicely with Foyth. Um, he did a wonderful cross, and I know an, an assist doesn't kind of cancel out everything else that went wrong. But I don't think he was as bad as people think he was. And I just, I hope he gets his head straight. I hope he gets his fitness sorted out because there is a better fullback and better wingback in Aurier than there is in Trippier. Nathan, where are you with Aurier at this point? Um, I mean, just to add some context, he's he's 26. He's, he's taken, it, some would say, a step down to come to Spurs from uh, Paris Saint-Germain, although league-wise, possibly not. Um, and he's finding he's not getting, like Barley said, he's not getting that much game time. Where, where do you, what do you see as his future? Um, <laughs> I, I'm not his biggest fan. Um, I'm not his biggest fan on the pitch or off the pitch. I think that the fact that he didn't get sent off or give away a penalty against Dortmund is grounds for seeing his game as a success. Um, hmm. I, it's complicated because you can see his athletic and and technical potential and you, and you can see Pochino's track record with getting, you know, just ridiculous, ridiculous turnarounds on players. So there's always a part of you that says, you know, eventually Pochino will get the best possible performances out of this player that he can give. And uh, I, I, I really rated Zoria based on his performances for PSG and, that that combination of knowing what Pochettino can do and and also having seen how good Aurea can play makes you think you know surely inevitably we're going to see the best of Aurea and the best of Aurea is is a really good right back. Um, but it's eighteen months and mm-hmm. and you're sort of stretching for it. I think and I I'm, I'm again I'm reluctant to sort of dig into Trippy here because. Um, we've we've said everything we need to say about Trippier really in a way and he's not you know uh, done anything to be ashamed of but I think the general situation at right back um, is frustrating and and Aurea is simply just part of that and is drawn into that and it it makes you just go just chuck them all out just just start again at right back yeah it's it's really hard to disagree with that and it's it's one of those it's one of those frustrating things for me because I see the makeup of the squad, I see the issues we've had this year and, and potentially going forward with the lack of homegrown players and I think is Aurier significantly better than Walker Peters? I, I, I don't know. I don't know at this point. Um we we spent 24 million on him and I don't see 24 million pounds worth of return there um or potential. I, I was kind of hopeful after his first season that, like you say, we, we know Poch's reputation of transforming players. We can see that he's got um, athletic ability. He's at times shown technical ability. I mean, some of his crossing has been great, but then other times he'll just shank one over the bar or completely scuff one. Um, the, the consistency levels with his crossing just is not there. I, the, the thing that's disappointed me is he doesn't seem that capable of beating a man. 
and I sort of had assumed that he, he would be and that he'd be a bit more adventurous, but his take-ons are, are way down on, on other full-backs. Um, so I'm just not fully convinced that he's the right guy for our squad and particularly for our first team. I know, but for the Sorry, for the time being, I don't think we have much option, any other option really than play with him. He's only he started five games in the league this year. That's it. So I think if Sissoko can have a monumental turnaround from being absolutely terrible, the level that Sissoko's gone from to is a massive jump from where is he's Aurier starting at a higher platform than where Sissoko started. So if Pochettino can make Sissoko one of the greatest midfielders playing football right now then I still have some faith in Pochettino, the manager, in making Aurier a good fullback. Let's talk a little about Sissoko. Um, because as, as we were setting up to record this podcast, I was reading Alistair Gold's uh, Q&A that he sometimes does, and they're always very interesting. And Alistair's got some very solid Spurs opinions. And they were talking, he was asked about who he thinks the player of the season is for Spurs, and he said Sissoko. And I was a little surprised by that. But I think a lot of Spurs fans would probably agree. Nathan, where are you with Sissoko now? Um, obviously, we've spoken about him a lot previously, and it's always been with the caveat that he's come from this absolutely horrendous start, and we're almost sympathetic to him now. But has it gone beyond that for you? Do you sort of see him as a real valuable asset in our midfield? Um, he he is an asset in the midfield, you know, uh, and and when he was injured, we we missed him clearly, but that is all you have to you have to look at the the, the full story. Um, and you know, prior to this season, he was a, a thirty million pound player back when thirty million pounds was a lot, who had given us only poor performances. And I, I'm I'm not having a go at him. I'm just saying, um. As a whole, that's not a success. And, and people will be similarly harsh of Lamella, who, yes, has been very good at times, but then has also gone through large periods of time where he hasn't contributed. So I think it's a similar situation there. Um, in terms of player of the season, I think, I think yeah, we'd be coming at it from that sympathetic angle. We'd be looking at it as a sort of a, a most improved vote when that's generally not what you're looking for for play of the season. I think that um, Sun and Vertonghen both put themselves forward as strong candidates there. And Alderweireld as well for me, just sure. uh, his consistency levels have been great. Bardi, wh- wh- what do you think about Sissoko and the player of the season shout? Um, no, I think Sun has probably played the season, but I think Sissoko has found a, a role a role for himself as this kind of roaming um, wrecking ball. This kind of like he's, he's almost like a defensive midfielder that doesn't sit and protect. He kind of <laughs> he's like a, a wrecking ball that kind of swings around and just collects bodies as he goes. But as well as that, he's also very clever. And, and the way he helps out the fullback position, um, the way he offers himself always in tight places. And his passing is, you know, it's not the greatest, but it's neat and tidy. And he's also developing the confidence to break the break the press now by dribbling through the press. He did that on quite a few occasions against Dortmund where it was getting tight. And almost like Dembele, like he he got himself out of trouble with his with his dribbling. I don't know. I wouldn't call him dribbling skills, but his ability to get through tackles and keep the ball close in range of his feet. So I think I think he's been a very good player, and I'm at the position now where if he's here next year, I'm quite I'm very happy to see him remain at Tottenham. I think we need to talk about two more players in the context of a Dortmund game. Uh, firstly, Juan Foyth. Um, he, he gave a few people scares in that first half, and understandably so. He's he's one of those defenders who is uh, very very positive on the ball. He wants to bring the ball forward into midfield and play through balls basically, and, and take players on. 
it's unusual. It's not a style we've become accustomed to. I love it. I think he's, I think he's got so much ability. Um, read a great interview. Again, Alistair Gold wrote a, a, a superb um, write-up of an interview that Foyth did with a number of journalists where he spoke about the fact that he only moved to play centre-back when he was 15 or 16 and he'd previously been an attacking midfielder. And I think that really comes through in Foyth's play style. He's, he's got such a lovely touch. Uh, he can drop a shoulder and beat a man. He's got oodles of confidence. And I really enjoyed his performance against Pulisic. I thought he had the better of him for the majority of the game. And um, yeah, just bringing the ball forward and, and playing it into midfield in, in such a stylish way. Buddy, did you feel nervous watching him from the stands? Um, no, I kind of got used to Foyf now, the way he plays. Obviously, he nearly got caught once. Uh, he did get caught another time. But I think he was a, it was a very astute decision for this game. I think I was reading um, Nathan's tweets before the match about how Dortmund will play. And he kind of got it spot on that they'll be quite willing to allow our centre-backs to have the ball. So Foyf being one of those centre-backs with, with time to kind of hit a, hit a diagonal pass or work it down the line, it, it was an excellent game for him to play. Um, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think I mentioned on the fighting cock how Twitter's kind of developed into this kind of, you're either Foyf or, or Sanchez, and it's like you have to pick a camp. You can't have one or the other. And I think it's quite sad because I thought they both played really well together. A, a shout out to Sanchez. Some of his um, long-range passing was also very good. And I think it's great that we've got two young defenders who were so accomplished. And it's it's a fantastic thing for Spurs. Absolutely. And the other player I'd like to talk about a little is uh, Harry Winks. Because he's just been superb these past, what, six weeks now? Um, Nathan, what did you make of Winks' performance against Dortmund, but also in in the previous games against Leicester and Newcastle? Yeah, they've been really, really positive. He's he's added um, much more defend, uh, many more defensive actions to his game, but he's also upping his attacking side at the same time. And I think that it's that combination of of both aspects that make you think, okay, I think there's something going on here. And I I wrote about it for twelve. I mentioned it on Twitter a couple of times, but I, I feel like he. Um, there's just a sudden physical confidence that has maybe been missing um and and you and it makes me wonder about the amount of time he's been out with injury and the seriousness of that injury and i i have to wonder if he has been struggling either physically or maybe just mentally um with the sort of long long term recovery from that injury and that's something that he's potentially now over and that's why you know he's suddenly putting in much many more tackles he's really committing his body he's dribbling more i think he's just more of a physical presence now it's quite possible that that's simply a development of his of his playing or a development of Pochettino's coaching of him but i i do have this strong suspicion that there there's something sort of behind the scenes physical going on there Bardi, I remember you were slightly sceptical about Winks towards the start of the season. How do you feel about him now? Yeah, I, I totally agree with what Nathan just says. He, he He's always been tidy. He's always been you know, a, a solid kind of short-range passer. But there has been something that's happened to him in the last couple of months. And I agree with Nathan that it could be mental, it could be physical. But he just seems to kind of want to be in charge of the game now. Take more responsibility, break tackles, win tackles. And he's a, he's a fabulous midfielder. Um, you know... Someone on Twitter kind of was talking about he doesn't get enough goals or assists. It, it doesn't matter. He is a very good midfielder right now. And, um, you know, the injuries to Daya Wanyama and Debele leaving has opened the door for him. And he's um, he's taken his chance brilliantly. I struggled to see how Daya could get in ahead of Winks at this point at the, at the base of our diamond. Um, the only thing is, I think Winks does... 
he, he says himself that he wants to add goals to his game and I think in the position he's currently playing it's very difficult for him to make those regular runs into the box which I think he was showing signs of improving on um, but I mean for example against Leicester we played with Skip to his left in the kind of the spare man um, in that midfield uh, and I, I think Winks would probably like to play that role in an ideal world but he's playing at the base of the, of the diamond and doing a very good job there so really intrigued to see who we sign to play with Winks next season I think there's there has to be reinforcements in central midfield I think we've, we've needed that for, for two years now since Dembele's decline began it's essential that we do make a signing and I'm fascinated to see the style of player that Pochettino targets will it be someone who's a an all-rounder a bit like Winks who can do a bit of everything um, c- can defend but can also you know run with the ball or, or play expansive passes or will he go for a more natural holding player who will free Winks up to do a little bit more in the opposition box um, yeah, I think there are arguments for both styles. I, I assume at this point that Wanyama is going to leave at the end of the season because he, he seems pretty broken. I, I think he'd have played ahead of uh, Skip if, if there were any chance that he was still um, viewed, viewed as a top-level player for Spurs. But I, I think we have to assume at this point that he's done. Um, yeah, I, I just want to... There was an interesting thing that you said just there that who we signed to play alongside Skip for. For most of the season, it's been who do we sign to replace Skip. And I, I'm wait. where you... Yeah, obviously, yeah, sorry, who do we sign to replace Winks? But I'm kind of where you are now, that who do we sign to bring the best out of Winks and play him alongside? That I thought Skip, I thought Winks, Skip, bloody hell, I thought Winks might turn into a squad player, but I think if he carries on like this, he's very much part of our team, our starting 11 going forward. And I guess in, in many ways, the best case scenario is we sign a player or two players and we have two or three midfielders who can either play all together or two out of three at any one time, and that creates genuine rotation and keeps players fresh and stops some of these muscular injuries which we've seen over the past two months of Spurs occurring um I mean that would be that would be ideal um is there anything else either of you would like to say about the Leicester or Newcastle games uh, Leicester battered us and we were lucky to come away with a win there but uh how good is their midfield Nathan uh it, it certainly carries a huge amount of promise to develop as a midfield I think they're all 20 or 21 um so yeah, I mean they are good now, but I, I when you look at that midfield, or when I look at that midfield, I say you know how good is that midfield going to be if they stay mm-hmm. together? And now um, Tielemans is on a loan, so he may well only be at Leicester for six months. But all the same, uh, 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 the, they've also got um, Mendy, who was due to start, but then didn't. And Mendy is a big favourite of uh, Puel, isn't he? He's, he? He really likes that that guy. I think Ndizi's terrific. I think Madison's got loads of potential. And I, I think Tiedemann's had a very, very strong debut. Yeah. Um, I also, I really like Harvey Barnes. I think there's something really interesting about Harvey Barnes's play style. And I suspect that he's one that will make England squads over the next year or two. I, I think there's something there. Um, he gave Trippier an absolute nightmare. An absolute nightmare with his positioning and timing of his runs. Um, Leicester were great, I thought. Uh, I, I, we won 3-1, but we were very lucky to do so. Um, having said that, we were hard done by with the Son penalty decision, I felt. That's true. So that, you know, that, that may have changed things. And Newcastle was a bit of a drag, wasn't it? I mean, we struggled to a 1-0. We, we did create a lot of chances, but mainly from set pieces. Um, yeah, it, it's just nice to see Spurs getting over the line uh, during these difficult times without Caden and Delhi. We have a question from uh, Coy's Penguin, who is at Neutral Penguin with a 1 instead of an I. He says, couldn't we consider switching to an old school flat back four to shore up defensively and just let our front four get on with creating chances? And I think this was in response to the to the Leicester game. Um, 
although it makes no sense because we, we played with back four against Leicester. I think what he's saying essentially though is let's not push our fullbacks on so much. Buddy, where, where do you stand on that? How do you feel about you know the Leicester game? We had our fullbacks so high despite playing a back four. Um, how do you stand on this question? Um, I don't think you can do that. I, I, the fullbacks are essential to um, to how we play and about stretching the play and giving the overlap option. I, just to have like what a Tony Pulis kind of style back four who just stand on the halfway line. That's I don't think that's not going to work. And Nathan, how do you feel about the uh, question? Yeah, no, I think I think Buddy's got it there. In in the modern game, it's you want to clog up the middle defensively, and you want to use the wide areas for attacking. And um, I think it, it, when you look at the fullback role historically, you you see them as defenders. But I think the way the game has changed and developed. Um, if you think back to our first season under Pochettino, we had a lot of trouble against teams who played a narrow game um, because in that first season, Pochettino was actually fairly defensive with the fullbacks. Um, and I think that, yeah, if we were to go again um, and ask our fullbacks to play a more defensive game, any team who simply clogged up the box would, would shut us down. I think that's a really astute point you made there. And um, it's one of the positions where I feel that the, the name of the position doesn't reflect what the player does. In the um, United States, they call them outside backs. That makes a lot more sense. And I think um, in Brazil, they call them lateral or something like that. I, I put an Italian accent on it, <laughs> but just wide. Just They're just the wide player that gets up and shuttles up and down. And and that makes a lot more sense to me as well. I, I feel like this is one role where the name might change. It might evolve over time and someone will come up with something that sticks and we won't refer to them as fullbacks anymore because... You know, even having backs in the name doesn't reflect in in a Spurs team. You know, these players are getting on the ball and creating. They're not defending is almost secondary now, especially when we play a back three. Um, and and the name needs to reflect that, I think. And it m- might then change some of the thinking towards the fullback position. But Bardi, you you prepared a, a, a fullback episode for us. And we're going to do that at some point, and I'm looking forward to talking to you both about it because I think it's I think it's one of the really fascinating evolutions in English football. Mm-hmm. Do either of you have anything you'd like to add? Or shall we draw it to a close there? Um, I would just like to give a little shout out to somebody who wrote, somebody on Twitter that I've never noticed before, but Nathan liked it. Um, Abel Mezaros, I don't know if Nathan knows him. He wrote an interesting blog on the Champions League game, which um, is on Medium. It's quite a nice read, lots of images, and it's a... If you want to check out the game, go um, go um, go read that. Nice, cool. All right, let's leave it there. Uh, hope you've enjoyed our, our catch up episode on the past three games, particularly the Dortmund game. I, I I loved watching that match. The second half just had me just beaming. Um, it was it was so fun to watch. So I hope you've enjoyed us talking about it as well. And we'll be uh, recording again soon. So so keep your ears out for a, a full back episode uh, in the very near future. It's the fight. It's the fight. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.